Welcome back, friends. You are listening to Parenting for the Culture on the Black Love Podcast Network, and I am your host, Cherise Sims, early educator, mama to six beautiful heavens, ages 13, 12, 10, 7, 8. She's 8 now, and twin 5-year-olds. And we are here to talk all things parenting, parenting our children, parenting ourselves, And I like to start with the peak and pit of my day. It is something that I do with my family that just allows me to connect with them a little more, allows them to connect with me because we are all human and we need to connect with each other on a human level and not just in the role of parent, child, all of the time. As I always say, I consider you all my family and my friends as well. So it's something I like to do here with you guys too. The peak of my day It's simple and easy, and it's that my daughter, my oldest daughter, she's an amazing baker. She makes the best brownies you will ever taste. She like brews fresh espresso and puts it in the chocolate so it's rich. And so she made brownies and they're perfectly like salted and buttery with a hint of caffeine and they're my favorite and I love them. So that is by far the peak of my day. (laughs) And the pit of my day. So my oldest has just started high school. I, yes, I'm an early educator, but I am an early educator. My experience and studies and backgrounds is from like zero to eight years old. But here we are. I got a child in high school and we are dealing with like homework. Homework's a thing. And I don't know how to teach 14 year olds, ninth graders, 10th graders. I don't know how to teach them this new math Like I did the whole carry the one, eliminate stuff, you know, all this stuff that they are not doing now and I'm not familiar with it. And so homework help is a thing. Mind you, I told you my 13 year old is a freshman in high school, which means she did skip a grade, which means we have been doing this well. So I am here to talk to you all about homework, study habits, the stress of it, the challenges of it, and share with you what has worked for me in the past and share with you what I am learning and getting ready to implement with my oldest daughter. And also just reassure you, because again, like we have talked before about the job of parenthood, the role of parenthood, and the different things that we do and don't do. And this is one of those areas where we as parents are creative and critical thinkers. I don't know if y'all remember this affirmation, but we are creative and critical thinkers who can figure out how to meet our needs. And same, we can figure out how to meet the needs of our child. So if you are also feeling like, well, I don't know how to do that. That's not how I learned it. I don't know how to help them. I'm not here. I can't help them. Like, We are going to talk about tips for creating study habits and then resources and things we can do when we're feeling that way. So like I said, I love to study up on things. I love to read things when I don't know. And I read a couple of articles. One of them was a Princeton Review article. Now, I would reference you to it, but honestly, it's just a good article to read if you're a nerd like me and like to read articles. It doesn't actually give you tips and tools, but I do want to share with you a couple of things that I thought were valuable from the article. One of the things that is valuable from the article is that it says that children, students are stressed about studies and homework, but generally happy with school which is a great thing because we can work with that. It's much harder to form study habits if they just don't like school at all. Another thing that the article points out, which I think most of us are familiar with, but it doesn't hurt to reiterate it, which is that students typically tend to be a lot more focused on grades than the actual learning. 
and that they are focused on getting into a good school and getting the good grades and progressing. So the stress comes around trying to get the good grade and not students actually said that they don't find value in the learning, but they find value in the grades because they see the grades as a thing to get them into the next level of education, whether that be middle school, high school, college, or beyond. So the reason I share that is because I think it's a good thing to think about because if we know that the stress comes from the grades and the outcome, then we can help them a little more adjust the mindset to finding value in the actual learning so that they can be invested in the learning. It can ease the stress of the actual homework and study. And it does this because it shifts their focus from just like what we're doing at home to actually seeking value in the classroom as well and pulling in different collaborations and partnerships, whether that be with the teachers, with aunties, uncles, cousins, mentors, whoever it is, it shifts the perspective and helps them a little more to feel better about studying. And also when we eliminate the stress of studying, we are able to get through our studies a little bit faster. Another thing that the article mentioned was that managing emotions is a huge part of study habits. And in several episodes, we have talked about different ways to manage emotions, to stay grounded. And here is another area where we find the importance of managing emotions. Because if children are already stressed about studying or doing homework, and this happens at any age. I know that I led with the pit of my day being my high school student, but we have dealt with this at every age level. And as an educator, I've met with parents who at every age level... (laughs) From three years old through high school, they're dealing with this, I can't get my child to sit down and study. And we can't get our children to sit down and study when studying is stressful, when it's uninviting, when we think we're about to do it for hours. So when we switch back to managing the actual emotions around studying, practicing these different tools we've talked about, breathing exercises, grounding exercises, coping skills. When we work on that first and consistently, because you can do it in so many different areas, we're actually helping them with their study. And so we start to find tools on how we can cope, how we can manage to get it done faster and more efficiently. One of the ways we get it done faster and more efficiently is by doing interval training or interval studying. Instead of having our children do homework time, like, hey, sit down, it's it's four o'clock, you got to do your homework, you can get to whatever, whatever, when you're finished with all your homework, I would encourage you to have interval homework times. And this is, if you have a child who can sit down and do all of their homework and get it out of the way, by all means, continue to do that. That works for you. If you have a child where it's hard to even get them to sit down in the first place to start their homework... I would encourage you to do interval homework and interval studying. What that looks like is let's put the phones away, let's turn off the TV, and let's sit down and do our homework for 15 minutes, depending on the age of the child. If you have a younger child, maybe it's only five minutes. And then we'll take 20 minutes to go play outside or 20 minutes to listen to some music and you can karaoke with it. So along with managing our emotions, doing interval training or studying sessions, I do want to talk to you about four actual tips that you can use when trying to create effective study habits for your child. The first thing I want to talk about is creating a study space. Now, creating a study space is really important, and I personally learned the value of this when I was 
I think I was 13 years old. And I remember that I used to have really bad sleep. I was diagnosed as an insomniac. I had really bad sleep. And one of the things that the doctor asked me was, what's in your bedroom? And I told the doctor all of the things in my bedroom. I had pictures of friends in my bedroom. I was a teenager. So, you know, I had my like teen magazine collage on my wall. I used to love the ocean. I had surf pictures collaged on my ceiling so that when I laid on my bed, I could feel like I was in the ocean. (laughs) I had the TV in my room. I had a phone in my room, all these things. The doctor, the first thing they said was, take all of that out of your room. They were like, you should not study in your room. You should not talk to friends in your room. You should not watch TV in your room. You need a designated space where your brain can separate the fact that you are supposed to sleep in this area. So the same way the doctor told me, create a space for sleep, you have to create a space for study. It is very hard when your child's brain is still in developmental phases for the brain to compartmentalize different spaces and what you're supposed to do in that space. So you want to create a space that is just for your child to study. And there are many ways to do this. Like you don't need a huge house and a separate room to do this. You can do this in an area in your living room. You can have a space where you kind of carve out a little space big enough for them to sit. You want to try to make this space cozy, like make sure they have access to water in this space. If they want to have a speaker in this space because they want to listen to jazz music or classical music. I was always taught that studying music should be classical and jazz, something without words, because words can be distracting, right? Contrary to what I believed and what I practiced growing up, which I'm still in practice of that and in advocate for having study music, I found out that some children actually thrive off of music that does have lyrics or words and words that they are acquainted with and familiar with. Even though it seems like it would be a distraction, it somehow serves as kind of like a balance for them, right? It it drowns out other things or other distractions and allows them to kind of zone in. So have a speaker for them and trust your child. If they tell you, oh, heavy metal music actually helps me focus more, don't assume that they're pulling one over on you. It is possible that it actually helps them to focus more. Or if they say Mariah Carey and this album helps me focus more, I am clearly not talking about children of this generation. I am clearly talking about my generation when quoting Mariah Carey, and I'm okay with that. My point is, believe your child if they tell you that a certain type of music helps them to focus. And if you see that that music isn't working, then you simply say that. I noticed that this music isn't working. Let's try a different music or let's go 10 minutes without music and keep going. So create a study space. This is going to look like an area where they can write, an area where all of their things are accessible to them. You want good study habits. You want access to all of your resources, pens, pencils, markers, crayons, notebooks, sticky notes, flashcards, all the things that they might need, have it in that designated study area so they are not spending time procrastinating or walking around. These are the things that as parents frustrate us to high heaven when we're like, sit down and do your homework. And next thing we know, our child's walking around the house and we're like, I told you to sit down. And they're like, well, I'm looking for a pen. And then they sit down with their pen and they're like, well, I'm looking for my book, right? (laughs) And we get frustrated because we just assume that they are procrastinating. We're like, they do not want to sit down and do this. Look at all this time they're spending looking for all these things. Avoid that completely. Your child is most likely not even fully procrastinating. 
it is possible that they're procrastinating. But remember that they are still developing their executive functioning skills, which means they are still working on the ability to organize their things. So help them to do that. Having them be a part of creating their study space that has all of their necessities that they need for having healthy study habits and then use that study space for interval study periods. Another thing you want to do, this is number two. So number one was creating a study space. Number two is having a homework planner. Now, that might sound kind of sophisticated or something you might only implement with your middle schooler or your high schooler. But remember that as we raise our children, we are constantly giving them tools and filling their tool bag. So if you have a four-year-old or a five-year-old, someone who's in pre-K or kindergarten and is getting homework, have a homework planner. Introduce these things early to them. This is where you're going to organize your time, where they can see in blocked schedules when their study time is going to be. This is a great way to do that interval study time because they can see the half-hour blocks. This is where for your younger children, maybe you want a big wall calendar to organize the time. And for your older children, you might want to have something that they can have in their backpack, where when they go to school and they're given an assignment, they can pull it out and write it down. But this is a place where you're going to be writing down where their major assignments are, where their tests are happening, and you're able to look at it so you can map out how much time a day do you actually need to spend on this? How much time a week do you need to spend on this? If my second grader gets her, you know, all about me poster that she has to do. And she wants to print pictures. Y'all know we don't print pictures anymore. We have all the pictures on our phones. So we actually have to print the pictures out. This is going to help you as a parent also, because their homework requires time and energy on our part also, right? But one thing I do is my child will come home and they come home with their poster and they're like, I'm so excited. I get to do my all about me thing. And I'm like, woohoo, yay, I love those. (laughs) And then I say, when is it due? And they're like, okay, it's due next month or it's due in three weeks. My brain says, oh girl, you got three weeks. And then next thing I know, we have about 30 hours before that thing has to be done. And I got to go to CVS to print out pictures. I got to buy markers. I got to get borders. So this is where one, you have your study space. You already have your markers, your stickers, your borders, whatever you need. Two, you're mapping it out in your planner. So you know, we need to get pictures by whatever day. Have your favorite food section done by this day. Then you can spend five minutes on the next day doing your favorite books part, whatever it is. But you are going to want to map out their major test dates, their major project dates, so that you guys can start organizing time and you can start teaching your child how to organize time. Again, you start this with your kindergartner. And you hope that by the time they are going to high school, they have a good grasp on the ability to do this on their own. Because the goal as parents is to get to a place where we're like stepping back a little bit at a a time, giving our child more of that independence so that by the time they get to college, they are good without you. I don't know how many of you are aware of the fact that there are many students who do very well in high school, get into great colleges, and do horribly their first year in college. And a lot of studies will find that students do horribly not because they didn't learn the things, but because they do not have the life skills and the organizational skills to manage all of their things on their own. They no longer have someone reminding them to put their projects in their backpack or whatever it is, so they leave things behind. There are so many students who do not do well their first semester or their first year in college because they were so focused on those grades that they missed the life skills to do well. 
So start this with your littles early on where you are teaching them how to organize their time, teaching them how to map things out, teaching them how to create a study space so that in high school, starting in middle school, really, they can start to practice it on their own and you're less involved. In high school, you're even less involved because the goal is that they can do this completely 100% on their own by the time they get into that great college we're trying to send them to on a full ride, right? Now, number three is about test taking. Your children are most likely going to have tests regardless of what age they're in. Kindergartners have tests. High schoolers have tests. Obviously, the tests get more serious as they go, more documented, more standardized as they get older. I think standardized tests start in about third grade. But when you are working on tests, you're going to avoid cramming. Now, this is obvious. We know it. But similar to the planner situation, we forget to organize our time in a way where children are not cramming for their tests. Children are more focused on grades than they are the value of learning. So your children are going to have a natural inclination to try to cram for tests and review for tests in a way where they're just seeking the good grade and they're not trying to learn it and soak it in and know the information. You do this by... This goes like hand in hand with number two in time management. You're going to practice for the tests. You're going to set aside five, 10 minutes a day where you are actually doing a practice test with your child. So if your child is in kindergarten and they're they're learning their sight words or they're learning their sound blends or they're learning, you know, their spelling words, you're going to set aside time. And the great thing about setting aside time is here's another opportunity for you to kind of blend all of the things that you have to do as a parent into connecting with your child. So you're going to set aside time where you're actually doing like practice tests with your child on their spelling words, on their sight words, on their sound blends. Ask their teacher, like, how are you guys working on this at school so I can work on this with them the same way at home? So you have that homeschool partnership. With your teenagers, you may not be as involved, right? You may just ask them, like, do you guys have any type of practice test that you can do? You can have another sibling yourself or even them do a self-assessment and correction so they can see where they're at. If you do that and have them grade their own test, you're actually giving them the freedom and the space where you're saying like, I trust you. You're growing up. You take the test. You correct yourself. You're facilitating in them like a self-awareness, a self-initiative, a connection to you where they feel like, oh, you trust me. I'm growing up. So you can do all types of ways where you can do these practice tests that also encourages them and builds them up in a way where they're confident in themselves and practicing that real self-initiative and self-independence that we want them to have. And when you're doing these practice tests or spacing out the studying and the practicing of all the things they're learning, one thing that for me comes to mind is I grew up a competitive swimmer and we used to consistently have practice. You know, we'd have practice in 5 a.m. in the morning. We had practice at 4 p.m. in the afternoons. And every day at practice, we would do our warm-up, we would do our workout, uh, and we'd work out, you know, we'd lift weights, do running, all different kinds of workouts to work out all different kinds of muscles. We did this on a consistent basis. When we were getting ready for a major meet, whether it was the Junior Olympics or Nationals or whatever it was, those two weeks leading up to the meets, we did not have two-hour-long workouts. We had 30 minutes in the pool where you were just 
racing and doing trying to do your best time, you do that a couple of times and then you get out the pool and you let your muscles relax. That was the order that we did things as a competitive athlete. And if you talk to any competitive athlete, this is usually kind of what it looks like. Like the workouts closer to the actual game or closer to the meet are very different than what the regular workouts look like. The same thing is going to be for your studies. You should have regular consistent study where every day your child is reading 20 minutes a day. Every day your child is writing 10 minutes a day, whatever it is. But as you get closer to the test, that is not the time that all of a sudden you guys are doing an hour of studying every day. At this point, you are simply reviewing what you already know, what you have already learned and practiced on a consistent basis. And at this point, you are really just practicing for the test. Test taking is not always about what you know. Test taking, especially with children, is sometimes about the anxiety around the test which takes us back to teaching your children how to manage their emotions. Test-taking is about sharing this information in a specific amount of time. Test-taking is about navigating through the systems, right? Are they taking it on a computer? Are they taking it on an iPad? Are they bubbling it in still? And do they know how to do this? The fourth thing that you want to teach your child is how to ask for help. I cannot tell you How many students I have heard say that they don't ask for help from their teacher? I have watched it firsthand. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic when my children moved to online learning, I could visibly see that my daughter did not understand the math that they were learning, and she sat quietly and she did not ask a question. And later when I asked her, you know, are you understanding it, checking in with her, Why didn't you ask any questions if you didn't understand it? She expressed that she was embarrassed to ask questions. Again, this goes back to that stress of like, we got to get the good grades. We got to know what's going on. There is a shame and embarrassment around not knowing. So this is where, this is actually where like sharing the pit of your day comes in handy because you are sharing like, it's okay to have bad parts of your day. Let's normalize that. Another one I heard somebody say was every day at the dinner table, they would ask, like, what did you fail at today? That's a great question to ask your child every day. What did you fail at today? Because you actually want to normalize the fact that, like, challenges are a normal thing. Challenges are good. So teach your children to ask for help. Now, one of the reasons that children do not ask for help sometimes, not only embarrassment, but also they actually think we can't help them. (laughs) One thing this Princeton study found was that children have a good relationship with parents. They think that parents support them. They know their parents want to help them, but they are like, similar to how I said, I don't know how to teach this new way of learning. They look at us and they're like, no, you don't, you don't actually know how to help me. So why am I going to ask you for help? So we're going to teach our children, like, I might not know how to do Common Core, but I do know how to find you the resources. I do know how to help you talk to your teacher. I do know of an after-school program where this can help you, or I do know of a YouTube video, whatever it is. Give your children the reassurance that while you may not know exactly how to do what they're doing, you definitely know how to be resourceful and find them the support that they need. And honestly, I think that is like one of the biggest things is teaching your children how to ask for help. As adults, we have had episodes where we've talked about like us as parents reaching out for help not being ashamed to reach out for help. So definitely teach your children this. Teach them how to ask their their teachers for help. Teach them how to ask you for help. 
So my friends, your homework for this week is going to be to get with your child and set up a study area. The reason I want your child involved in this is because I want them to to be connected to their study area. Allow them to help you pick out the space. Allow them to help you set up where their tools are going to be for what they need. You also want to do this because you want to remember that your child's brain probably works a little differently than your brain. So where you might want a drawer set, they might need a cubby bin, right? So they're going to help you and show you and teach you exactly what they need, where they need it. They're going to get excited about this space. Well, depending on the age, I'm not going to lie to (laughs) y'all. You might have a 14 year old that's not excited about this, but it's going to get them a little more connected to it and more willing to utilize it and be a part of it because they are going to be included in the conversation of setting it up, the benefits of it. You can even share this episode with them so they can be on one accord with you. And believe it or not, this is very helpful for your children when you include them in this way, because it says to them, I value you. If you have any questions about how to set up the study space or questions about how do I find the resources to help them with this struggle, please join me in our Parenting for the Culture podcast club. It's a free club in Google Classroom. You can find the link right here in our show notes, or you can find the link on my Instagram at Sheree Sims. You can also send us any questions that you have, whether it has to do with school and studying or challenging behavior or puberty or whatever you might be dealing with in your parenting journey, send us your questions at podcasts with an S at blacklove.com. You can also send your questions to me on Instagram at Sharice Sims, although I prefer you send them to podcasts with an S at gmail.com because y'all messages be getting lost on Instagram. So send us your questions, join the Parenting for the Culture podcast club, and I will see you all back here next week. I appreciate you guys tuning in every week. You are what makes the community of Parenting for the Culture, and I look forward to us continuing to grow and thrive together. So I will see you all next week. Peace, everybody. Thank you.